0: How cool is it that there is a, a leading institution whose mission is to put on a fun, safe race and to positively in- impact the communities and landscapes through which it travels. Like, there are no other institutions. There are very I've got few too other many institutions. miles to go. i am just an old hard rocker running from the dust till dawn. Uh-huh.
1: Up in Niagara, wondering what's taking so long. But uh-huh. when the sun goes down, that's when i see my mind. Oh, hey, everybody, my name is Dan Ryan, and I am joined today by my co host.
2: Chris Twiggs, 16-time Hard Rock finisher, Hard Rock board member, and guy who is super excited to talk to another board member today and long-time personality on the ultra-running scene. Yeah, today we're joined by
1: Megan Hicks, um, one of the founders of I Run Far. Um, She is, as Chris mentioned, a Hard Rock board member. She has finished Hard Rock four times. Um and she, is, her partner Brian, has also finished Hard Rock uh, four times, so they're tied. Um, so we're going to talk about that a little bit in this episode today. Um, we're also going to touch on, um, you know, board initiatives. We're going to touch on what it's like being media at the event, as well as any, you know, fun stories that Megan's had from being out on the Hard Rock course over the years.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So uh, let's get at it.
1: Hey, Megan, how's it going?
0: Hello from the future.
1: Is <laughs> yeah. tomorrow nice? Do we like
2: it tomorrow?
0: <laughs> it's okay day tomorrow. I recommend how, um, staying the course for it. Well,
2: how long, <laughs> long are you down there? What up?
0: <sighs> uh, We booked tickets for two months, but we're having so much fun that we're considering staying longer because we're all. here and all. So.
2: That's great. Yeah. That's
1: fun.
0: Yeah, it's how's a good amazing. I mean yeah. New Zealand is super volatile. It can go from like, you know, dump an inch of a ra- inch of rain in 2 hours and then the sun'll be out and everything will dry out really quick, but the rivers are flooded for, you know, 12 hours from the rain. It's a very Ooh. like a they say. Mm. Nice. Yeah, like Yosemite version like waterfalls that 5,000 people would be looking at if they were in California, but there are zero here because there's a zillion waterfalls. Nice. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I have to go it. visit
2: New Zealand. We're going to Australia next month, but I don't think we'll make it to New Zealand. So, people, t- when I tell people we're going, they're like, "Oh, are you going to go to New Zealand?" As if it's like you're in Florida. <laughs> are you going to see Georgia?
0: No, it's not like that. Or like you're in Florida, are you going to New York too? It's
2: more so, like that. So It's more like you're in Florida, are you going to Puerto Rico?
1: That's really what it's like. So when we were in the marching band, we got to go play at Wembley Stadium in London.
0: Hmm.
1: And we, they, the NFL flew us over. It was really cool. It was my first time ever overseas. And after we performed, they wanted us to go sit around in the stadium. for It was an NFL game that was being played in London. Um, it was actually the Jaguars versus the Bills. And no, Jaguars. Yeah, versus the Bills. So the Bills were bad. Um, so they sent us, and they're like, "Well, after you're done with your performance, go hang out with people in the stands." Mm. So I went, and I sat next to this lady. She goes, "Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been to Ohio with you know with the British accent and everything." And I'm like, "Oh, cool. What part of Ohio have you been to? Chicago?"
0: (laughs) Nope, nope. Didn't get even close. (laughs) Nope. Cute, but no. Yeah.
1: Wrong time didn't, zone. Wrong didn't correct state. Her. Just was like, yeah, that's cool. My grandma's from
0: Chicago. Good job.
2: <laughs> Chicago, Ohio. I You're know it well. 450
0: miles away, but cool. <laughs>
2: Close, but uh, we'll play horseshoes. So Megan, thank you so much for being with us here on the podcast. We're super excited to talk with you. And I'm sure a lot of our listeners already know a lot about you. But for those that don't, or just in case there are things that we don't know, if you could, just tell us a little bit about yourself, um, how you got started in, in running and all of this stuff.
0: Hi, Chris. Hi, Dan. Thanks for having me on Hard Talk. <laughs> um, I'm Megan Hicks. I'm the editor-in-chief of I Run Far. I'm a four-time Hard Rock finisher. Um, My first visit to Hard Rock was in 2011. Um, I came as a sort of your typical tourist participant, and I run far. The business covered Hard Rock very lightly that year. Um, I was enthralled and enamored by it, but I didn't think it was on my personal I could yet finish list. Um, So. It took me a couple of years until I got the courage to put up for entry in the race. But, um, as both of, you know, when you cap, when the, when the hard rock bug captures you, it's only a matter of time until, uh, yeah, you capture it and you get to run the race yourself.
2: (laughs) Yeah. So what was your start in ultra running? How did you, what was your journey from, uh, from, you know, getting into running to eventually getting into hard rock?
0: Yeah, so I guess I'm one of those people who started running about as early as you can. I did like middle school running, junior high, high school track. Um, I also played tennis, which overlapped with cross country. So I do tennis in the fall and uh, track in the spring and then um, like went through the collegiate. Like division three system like that, and then after college, it's much easier to run than to play tennis. So You have to have partners and you have to find tennis courts. So um, running very quickly took over as my main thing. I didn't know about trail running at all for several years. So I did like 10Ks, half marathons, built up to marathons, that typical thing. And I was uh, working in Texas and met a gal who identified as a trail runner, and I was already like a backpacker and a camper and I liked doing things like out in wild places on trails, but I'd never met a trail runner. Um, and I said, what is this sport of which you speak? Please take me on a run. And she took me on a run and she, um, was a really good trail runner is a really good trail runner. She nearly killed me or I killed myself trying to keep up, but the rest (laughs) is history. Um, I did a couple of short trail races, and then I learned about things like running rim to, rim to rim to rim in the Grand Canyon. I learned about fifty mile races. I learned about a hundred mile races. And um yeah, the rest that the rest of that is a very slippery downward slope into long distances and big adventures.
1: Wow. Yeah, and you've done some huge ones, including Tour de Jean and Marathon de Saab and a lot of big, big, big events. That's awesome. So when did you first hear about hard rock and what made you decide to become a hard rocker?
0: Um I guess I don't know when I heard of it. I mean um I think I started trail running around 2004-2005. I think I did my first ultra around 2006. I subscribed to like ultra running magazine, um, trail runner magazine. When it came out, I was kind of a, that was the blog spot era where everybody had their own personal blog. And so I read all kinds of blogs about ultra running and I was just very quickly, a, you know, a super fan of it. Not sure when hard rock came across my radar, I'm sure it was through ultra running magazine or a blog. Um, I met Brian Powell, my husband and coworker in two thousand eight and he had um been to hard rock like I think once or twice prior, and it talked about like, oh, we should go and watch and maybe cover the race I run for it was like a budding media entity at the time, and so we did that for the first time, I believe it was in two thousand eleven, and you know we did the typical thing where we camped out of our car like at the edge of town and you know, went on a few runs. And on the hard rock course, we covered the race, we took photos at a couple places, um, put them on the internet, like the next day, um, not as the race was occurring, but very delayed. <laughs> and, um, you know, would do like, let's say Cunningham Gulch to the top of Green Mountain and come back down and I would be dead at the end of it. Like, murdered dead it was nice knowing you Megan and I thought to myself I do not know how these people do this pass after pass after pass for 100 miles so my first visit I was like really keyed in really enthralled but I thought like it's gonna be a while until I do something like this yeah gosh
2: um so now that you've done hard rock you've had a lot of experience out on the course both Covering it with I Run Far, and of course participating yourself. What are some of the sections? I mean, you, you mentioned the torture of of uh, doing repeats <laughs> of Green Mountain, which has gotten better. I will say the first time I did Green Mountain was in the dark, um, coming down, pacing John Dewalt, and it was the first time it was part of Hard Rock, and I I finished, and I told someone there will be a death right there that i guarantee someone is going to die coming down green mountain in the dark it's way better now way way better um but what are some of your some of your favorite parts of the course or least favorite parts of the course in whichever direction
0: anything after 80 miles is the least favorite i'm just kidding (laughs) um favorite parts I'm a sucker for basins filled with wildflowers you know like when it's every different wildflower and they're coming over the trails and they're covered with dew and you look down at your legs and your legs have like the pollen of every different color wildflower on them like that is my version of heaven so it doesn't have to be a particular place but that that experience which is just so for me quintessential hard rock nature is big big high basins wildflowers um kroger's canteen kroger's canteen is one of the most special places from a story standpoint like you know the the original history of how that that spot was known how it came to be a trail and then now how it's come to be sort of a revered checkpoint aid station like as a as a hard rock sort of history buff, and like loving to tap into the the, the various histories of the region, Kroger's canteen really um, gets me going from a story standpoint. And then, like, yeah, places to hate—it's just um, anything after eighty miles. Let's just say that. <laughs> <laughs> fair, fair, truly fair. Dan, What's that, Dan? You?
1: Did you take the shot of tequila at Kroger's Canteen?
0: Always. Never say no.
1: Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. For sure. (laughs) Do you have a direction that you prefer? Clockwise or anti clockwise? No. I don't. We'll skip that.
0: Typically, I'm kind of better at gently running gentle uphills than like running gentle downhills. I think like my body likes like the direction that's got the gentle grades up, but it's just so different. Like everything is, you're just the way, because races that are as long as hard rock, it's so much more about your mind and like where your mind goes on the journey. And you're just having such a different relationship with, you know, like Putnam Basin when it's the first big basin that you're crossing rather than the last, like you're, you're having an out of body experience when it's the first basin that you cross you're just in Mm. heaven but when it's the last basin you cross like like it's you don't even register like where you are and it's like one of the most gorgeous places on earth so yeah you're because your mind is so tied to the experience that you're having it's each direction is awesome yeah
2: yeah i it's it's interesting i don't know who started the the um the saying that you have to go both directions to be a true hard rocker, but it's become a thing for sure. Right. And while it is a very different run in each direction, I mean, the climbs are completely different. The descents are completely different. The the sections that you hit day and night are different, but, but at the end of the long day or two, it's hard rock either way. And and where your mind goes and what your body is required to do is the same either way. Um, so anyone that's only gone one direction, don't feel like you're not a hard rocker because you've only gone one direction. Um, but it's still, it's still neat to have that experience of going up and down. You've gone both directions, I, I think. I didn't look to see.
0: I've, gone, I've been lucky enough to go both directions twice. So yeah. yeah. But I, I do. I think we should get rid of that that moniker that we you need to go both directions to be a hard rocker because that that came about when it was easy to get in hard rock and so like you know now there's like the double challenge of one getting into hard rock two finishing it and then doing that all again you know getting it in the opposite direction so in my opinion a finisher should be a hard rocker no matter how many times well you're
2: a hard no question i mean we call you a hard rocker if you've if you've kissed the rock Within 48 hours, you're a hard (laughs) rocker for sure. Um, No, no question. But um, I think Jamil really pushed that a bit, I guess, with the video that he did, because he had several finishes in one direction. And then finally, after I think it was his fifth or sixth finish he got, it was in the opposite direction. So
0: I think the gods wanted him to only run hard rock one way.
2: (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, for sure. They're spiteful gods. those mountain gods can be can be (laughs) harsh um so okay so i'm
1: a bit of a gear nut right mm -hmm. and i run far does a lot of gear reviews so what's a piece of gear you don't go out on the hard rock course without Mm -hmm. or run hard rock without
0: i would say some sort of wool top i mean wool was cool like you know, in the seventies and then wool wool kind of went by the wayside and wool's back and wool is like, you know, the perfect material for mountain experiences because you can be wet as heck um, and wool won't feel as cold as other fibers that you have on your body. Um, I know that there are very strong stances on poles versus no poles Um, there are a few people out there who will stand by doing the hard rock course without poles, but mm, having a pair of poles to take around that course is, uh, in my mind, like gives you like brief chances at actually acting like a mountain goat, very (laughs) brief, but
1: (laughs) I mean, Carl even, Carl even backed, backed up on that one when we were talking about it, he was like, I used to be so against poles, but no, poles are great.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, all I of yours remember, have been with poles. Sorry, Megan. Use poles for all of your hard rocks.
0: Gosh, I would have not been smart if I didn't. But I think so. Yeah, I think yeah. so. I mean, I think I started doing hard rock in the era where, you know, it was like, well, Europeans use poles, but Americans don't use poles, and this is a, you know, culturally defining difference. And I'm pretty yeah. sure, I'm pretty sure I was like, well, I think it's a lot. It helps. So I you're think sm- I'm you're a smart polls. person. It took me a while see. to get
2: that smart. I was not that smart at the start, but I um, I definitely, I could not imagine doing it without pulse.
0: It's amazing how our perspectives change. Yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> it was funny this year when we were at The Rock because we were talking about kissing The Rock, right? And Brian comes in and finishes. So Brian kisses The Rock. And <laughs> Brian goes, man, I've done everything to that rock except kiss it. And Megan's standing there and she goes... <laughs> everything. Like standing there just watching people finish. I'm like, that's the best quote ever.
0: <laughs> that's amazing. And you know, what's funny is like, I had probably already been awake for, you know, 40 hours covering the race or whatever. I have no recollection of saying that. So that's wonderful.
2: <laughs> do you, do you remember, cause I feel like, I, I feel like nobody should have it held against them, whatever they say at <laughs> the rock? I mean, especially if they've been up for that long, whether, whether they've been running or not, can you remember any of the things that you have said at the rock, kissing the rock either to Dale or to anybody else there?
0: I think my most memorable finish was my first in 2015. This was the year that there were four or five people who got some sort of upper respiratory constriction issue. There was a cold front that came in the night, Prior to the race, snow landed on some of the passes, and um, the medical advisors thought that maybe the front carried pollen or dirt or something on it that really irritated people's lungs. Anyways, I was one of the lucky folks who had that upper respiratory constriction, and it started for me climbing out of Telluride. Um, We were going, you know, so that was like mile 75, we were going in that direction, and um the higher we went the less i could breathe and I, I started to have to like take breaks and like a couple people would pass me and then on the downhill i was like well, i have to make up time and so i tried to pass people back on the downhill and then the next uphill more people would pass me because i would have to take breaks i couldn't breathe and it got to the point that um like my airway was really constricted by the finish and i couldn't run in and it's um as you know it's like flat you should be able to Kind of at least, Mosey. And I remember coming around like the backside of the school and people were cheering for me and I was walking because I couldn't run. And it was like, had gotten to the point where it was like moderately um, scary, you know, like scary, like I, you feel like something is really wrong with your health and corner to the, you know, the final straightaway and did my best to run it in. It was probably a very slow motion jog and it was anaerobic I felt like I was in a hundred meter race I got to the finish and it was just a a, you know it was my first hard rock finish and it was an overwhelming sense of I made it I haven't done any long-term damage to my body that was a bit of a thing to get here though Um, just overwhelming relief was the feeling
2: (laughs) wow Um, that's (laughs) Gosh, I mean, it's so—it's such a transformative experience being there, um, getting through that, right? Such, such a thing to get through all of that, and um, I feel—I feel like. Um, there are more, more. I wish more folks could could find that. I wish more folks could experience that. But I also know that there are other, there are other hundred milers There are other distance races. There are people that are getting that experience in other ways. It's just that we've we've found that at Hard Rock and that kind of binds us to um, to Silverton and to the Rock and to um, to other Hard Rockers in a sense because of um, of that. You have been able to witness that, not just experience it yourself, but you've been able to witness that for tons and tons and tons of runners um, by covering uh, Hard Rock with I Run Far. You, you talked a little bit about that first time that you guys were out there, but the coverage from I Run Far has changed tremendously, evolved so much. How, how has that grown? And, um, and not just that, but the whole, the whole media empire that is I Run Far.
0: <laughs> small empire <laughs> um the 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 iron far and hard rock story yeah i think it started in 2011 we came to um watch the race spectate it i think um we were going to lightly cover it like with maybe some couple pre-race interviews maybe a results article um You know, we had a good camera out there. We were taking, you know, taking photos, not posting live time at all, because as we all know, the Hard Rock course is really remote and they're still today. You know, all these years later, there's no, there's very little like cell access on the course. Um, We had a great time and as did people who like watched the wee bit of stuff that we put online so we saw that it was of interest to people in the trail running community to try to get get a little bit more information about hard rock a little bit faster than it was coming out at the time and so yeah over the years our coverage has grown um, such that and it it's the same with hard rock and the other races that we're at. We try to um, get out on the course as many places as we can, and hopefully in as wild places as we can, because that's where the the real story happens, right? Like the aid stations are, they're kind of fun. They're transition zones. You get to see people with their crews, but um, the story of the race itself takes place with the runners when they're by themselves and with each other out on the trail. So we try to, you know, go out and be a, you know, a human hiding in the bushes somewhere in Maggie Gulch, somewhere in Sherman Gulch, somewhere, you know, on the sides of Handys and get to observe the, the progress of the race. And yeah, I mean, the the, the the general idea of storytelling hard rock from before the start to after the finish hasn't changed. The, the mechanisms have evolved a bit over the years, but for us, it's all about trying to capture the story um, the people, the community, the landscape that is hard rock.
1: So follow up to being in Silverton, this, this wasn't one of the questions that we had listed, but when did you guys make the move to Silverton? I know you're recording this right now. You're in New Zealand. Um, but I, I think that's cause you're all a little bit damaged from last year's winter. Um, so <laughs> when did you, when did you decide to move to Silverton?
0: Let's see. So, um, our, like, my Brian and I's relationship with Silverton and hard rock grew pretty quick starting in 2011. We, instead of being there for 10 days, it grew into two weeks and then it grew into three weeks. And we were at first like campers at the edge of town type of thing, like the very typical hard rock runner, hard rock crew member. Um, And then we like rented a cabin at the Silverton lakes um, resort on the um, east end of town for a couple of years to try to have a place to store electronics and write articles for this website called I Run Far. And then it evolved into like renting, uh, you know, a small cabin from somebody for a couple weeks. And then it rent- it turned into renting an apartment on Green Street for like the, it was like a six month lease. So we got to see spring, summer and fall. And then it evolved into um, looking at what, houses were being sold in silverton so again like a very slippery quick slope into falling in love with something 2019 um, was when a house across from the start finish line of hard rock came for sale and it looked good to us and yeah we uh, pulled the trigger as quickly as we could
2: i've stolen packages for dale off your porch
0: (laughs) come by anytime
2: (laughs) especially right now because they're not there (laughs)
0: Well, don't don't come now, maybe. Or if you do, please bring a shovel.
1: (laughs) A couple. Oh, man. You remember the board of directors? When did you originally decide to apply for the board? And what board initiatives are you particularly
0: interested in? Yeah, so I think um, the board contacted me sometime in 2020, I believe, to join its newly formed um, I think that they were calling it not gonna I'm probably not gonna get it right, like a diversity committee. The idea was um, you know, to form a committee to start working on diversity, equity, and inclusion issues as it related to hard rock. And they the board wanted the subcommittee to be made up of both board members and just external folks who seem to care about Hard Rock. And so I got an email about participating in that. I said yes, right away. Um, Became a member of that committee. Maybe was a part of it for, I don't know, under a year, but over six months, that type of thing. And then there was a board election that was happening. Um, And I got, you know, I got the idea that this has been great. I'd like to do more like you know, being a being a board member for a nonprofit institution is all about supporting, you know, you have to have a very, your value system has to be fundamentally very aligned with the value system that you externally see in the organization. I saw a lot of parallels there. The things that the organization, you know, says are important to it are, are things that sort of I live my life by that, you know, we operate, I run far by like the, it felt like a very parallel experience. And so I was really keen to become a board member. Um, I applied, I believe it was in 2021 and, um, my, I think I was filling like a vacancy. So maybe it was a two year, um, spot. And then I ran again with this last election and was reelected. So I think I'm entering my third year with the board, I believe.
1: So what initiatives on the board are you particularly interested in?
0: Yeah, so I think there's two that I'm most um, interested in. I was brought in to work on issues of um, diversity, equity, inclusion. Um, So I think you know, I was tapped on the shoulder to help with that, that aligns with my personal values, I'll continue to be interested um, in that. And then the other thing that I'm really interested in is the fundraising um, aspect of Hard Rock, like um, the, the, the using running for more than just running is the power of what we do, whether it's working on issues of mental health, whether it's working on issues of, you know, societal, physical health, whether it's, Um, working on the landscapes through which races run, like there, there is the sport of running, but what running is, is all the other ways that it connects us and gives us power. And, um, you know, hard rock, you know, one of hard rock's greatest powers would be to, um, you know, contribute to the communities and to the landscapes through which it runs and, and using the runners to do that. Hard rock already has like a really great sort of nonprofit fundraising mission, Um, but it it endeavors to do more and I endeavor to jump on and help with that. So
2: I think that's fabulous. Um, I'm I'm really excited to see, I'm really excited to see both of those, both of those issues that you're talking about um, in the forefront of consideration for the board. Um, You know, it's something that Hard Rock means so much to so many of us and it's also a, um, it, it's in the public eye, uh, at least for those of us that pay attention to ultra running. And so where hard rock goes, I think, can lead a lot of other events. And um, and so I think those are issues and there are others that other people are interested in. But I think if we if we work together, um, not just as board members, but as hard rockers and the hard rock community, um, we can see some real positive change in at least in our part of the world. You know the the running part of the world, the outdoors space.
0: Um, yeah. So, so for, how cool? Uh, like just to jump in for a second, like how yeah. cool is it in 2023, as the world of trail running and ultra running continues to commercialize at a highly rapid rate? How cool is it that there is a a leading institution whose mission is to put on a fun, safe race and to positively in, impact the communities and landscapes through which it travels. Like, there are no other institutions, there are very few other institutions out there who endeavor to have that mission. I mean, it's, yeah. I just think that, like, that, that's really important that that exists and that um the, that the institution that Hard Rock has been elevated to that level and can speak to those values and, and be a leader there. Like, it's just super cool when you put it in the context of 2023 the world of trail running
2: a, a crazy a lot going on in in trail running uh, you're you're exactly right about that and um yeah this is we're not we're, we're not about making as much money as possible really um you know <laughs> we're hat- putting
0: okay. as many feet on the trail as possible so that you know it's this you know a crowded busy social highly social experience and, yeah, yeah yeah
2: it's it's yeah <laughs> Very interesting
0: Um,
2: in terms of your personal running. So four hard rock finishes, no DNFs, all, all successful endeavors out on the course, which is, it's just something, you know, there are lots of people for a lot of reasons that can't make it around. Um, We, we spoke with Nancy Hamilton, who's the first female hard rocker, first female hard rock champion. And we asked her about winning that first hard rock. And she said, really, it was, it was a side effect. It was not the goal. The goal was not to win. The goal was to beat Susie. Susie was a woman that she had been in many ultras with and other races with. And she just, all she cared about was beating Susie. And the fact that, I mean, Susie finished second. So she had to finish first. That's basically what it came down to. So <laughs> Dan and I had this working theory that we all have a Susie, we all have someone who brings out. The best in us either brings out the competitive side of us or just someone that we really love being out there on the course with, and so we, we're asking everybody, and we need to know, Megan, who's your Susie?
0: All right, so it's not like it's me and this woman are of parallel physical abilities, like Nancy okay. and Susan were, but it's 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 a person whose career I have highly admired for a long time who was a you know a pioneer in like that you know era in which trail running really came about as a professional sport for some people and that's a a multi-time hard rock champion Anna Frost like she's a you know she's a person who yeah I mean we're basically the same age. I actually think I'm a little older than her, but she's somebody who I see as a mentor and somebody who I look up to and who's, you know, like values, um, you know, she stood true to her values of what, you know, how she wanted to participate in trail running. um, What, you know, what world around her she wanted to create while also being a professional athlete and having like a really good time and like that sort of renegade modern era of, You know, professionalization, which was really just dirtbaggers living out of their cars, running really fast. Um, (laughs) Yeah, a great, a great mentor for me.
2: Oh, yeah. Fantastic. Now, So do you have do you have the children's book that she wrote or that was written
0: about her? Well, this is it. This is the um, bookshelf of the the place where we're staying here in New Zealand. But if I had my my bookshelf behind me, you would be able to see. Yes.
2: Fantastic. (laughs) fantastic that's great we we didn't know about that book until we interviewed her well until we were preparing for uh for the interview with her um but i have acquired a copy of it and uh, my intention is for us to auction it off in silverton this summer as a fundraiser so um,
0: she has promised
2: she has promised that she will sign it as well
0: awesome very cool um,
2: absolutely thank you for that she told us one of the best stories i think
1: so far with killian um, how he was she was crewing him in 2014 and he showed up and she was like where's your crew bag he's like oh here's my crew bag had like a handful of snickers bars and change of shoes in it i think she said yep and that was it like that was all that was in the bag and she's like where's your stuff he's like that is my stuff
2: um, <laughs>
1: <laughs> do you have anything like that from from out there before we wrap up
2: any great stories oh. We my just
1: love some stories. good stories, Not Megan. bars. I'm, I'm assuming you've eaten eaten a couple, of course. But.
0: I I think my best stories from Hard Rock are from covering the race and just witnessing witnessing like everything from just supreme racing to s- just barely sneaking in under the 48 hour cutoff and like you know having a religious experience out there and everything in between. Um, probably my like the 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 biggest story that I'll remember from covering the race is being in Maggie Gulch. I think it was must have been in 2015. You two are better history buffs. Um uh, you might remember it better than me. This was the year that Killian dislocated his shoulder on a somersault um, coming off of Buffalo Boy Ridge and into Maggie Gulch. Um, so I Run Far was in Maggie Gulch. We had a pair of binoculars. We were watching two Solomon runners and Solomon Kit descending from Buffalo Boy Ridge, which is a couple thousand feet above Maggie Gulch. We watched one do a somersault. Um, it was Killian Jornette and Igor Carrera and um, I run far, we talked to each other, we said, well, it had to be care?" because, you know, Killian has, you know, climbed all these crazy mountains, surely he wouldn't somersault down a mountainside, but it was Killian who somersaulted down the mountainside and knocked his um, shoulder out of its um, joint, and the rest is history, he went on to still win the race with a displaced shoulder, um, so that was a pretty incredible thing to witness. Another really interesting thing to witness was um, the Japanese runner Suyoshi Kabaraki. He's the race director for Ultra Trail Mount Fuji. Um, he came to Hard Rock. He did the you know the quintessential come for a couple weeks train, really learned the course. He was a, you know a, a student of it, a really fast runner probably good for like a top three top four um type finish and he was in the uray bear creek canyon on the trail going uphill during a raging thunderstorm where water uh, was pouring off the cliffs and if you know the bear creek trail it's a very narrow canyon and the trail's been carved you know blasted out of the side so you're literally next to um below above cliffs and a rock came down and um, during this thunderstorm and hit him on the side of the head and he had turned his head just perfectly such that it hit his temple which is like I guess regarded as a very durable place for something to hit Um, and he over the course of the rest of the race um, the knot on his head just grew bigger and bigger and he finished the race I think like in sixth place a little bit further back than you'd expect him but after being hit in the noggin with a rock during a thunderstorm in bear creek, he still thrived. I mean, everybody's got their hard rock story like that. And yeah, being a part of I run far and getting to see those things out in the field and, and watch the evolution of people's races is um, yeah. R- some really cool stories.
2: <laughs> yeah. Gosh. I, I mean, I think if you followed every single hard rocker, Every year, you'd you'd see something amazing, something incredible that's happening out there.
0: Yeah, um, and just those the runners who are you know coming in seven minutes, three minutes, six seconds under the cutoff. You know, after and it's a race the entire way for them um, to stay under the cutoffs and to make it. There's never you're never letting off the gas, and yeah, those are those are. I mean, those are those are fiercer competitors than everybody else out on the court.
2: Yeah. Well, one of the things that I admire also about the Killian is a very good example of this, but but I really think every every hard rock champion really follows this um, this model is that they show up in the last hour. You know, they've may have finished twenty-four hours before these these folks coming in, in, in the 48th hour, but they show up there and are there to cheer in those folks that have been struggling, those people you're talking about that are, are racing the entire time. They have the admiration of the front runners. And, um, I think that's fantastic. You know, i you know, I've I've run marathons that included uh, someone setting a world record, and that world record holder was not there to clap for me when I crossed the finish line an hour later. Um, but you know, but there at the end, those Hard Rock champions are always congratulating and 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 I believe have true admiration for the struggle that those folks have gone through toward the end. Um,
0: and I also, yeah, also I just, I love, those. I those hard rock champions, uh, you know, if you if you win hard rock, you are the um, you're like the pacer for the hard block the following year, which is the kids race around Silverton School the day before the race. So um, not only are these winners, you know, staying out to watch all of the finishers and the final finishers 24 hours after they've crossed, they also have to go in a sprint race the day before their race to pace all of the kids of the hard rock community in the hard block kids race. So it's a, um, yeah, being, uh, being all those facets of being a community member of hard rock are just so neat.
2: Yeah. Yeah, it really is. It really is. Um, so Megan, before we let you go, I I just want to ask if there is any other story, any other thing that you can think about a moment uh, out there in Silverton on the course, even if it wasn't during Hard Rock, but, but some other thing that, that you feel like you want to tell everybody because we'd hate to let you go without capturing one last story from you.
0: I think... A really cool story, I mean it, it's often said how um how much Dale, the run director of Hard rock does for the organization, um, but one of the cool things that I get to see that i run far gets to see by spending over twenty four hours on the finish line with Dale is um, him taking notes and you know preparing for so all of the runners cross the line they talk with anybody who's hanging out about their experience. Did they hallucinate? Where did they fall? Where did their stomach get upset? Where were the storms for them? And then that runner takes off. And the run director stays for the next person and he repeats that experience a hundred and, you know, however many times as there are finishers. And then the next day after staying up and barely, you know, sleeping for two nights, Dale, the run director, puts on a, you know, a graduation gown and he conducts this graduation ceremony where he tells stories about each and every finisher and he gets it right every time. And the way that he does that is he takes notes. So after each finisher comes, he'll take out a note card and or on a on a clipboard or piece of paper, he'll take notes on what he spoke with a finisher about um, so that he has a story. He has something that captures that person's experience for the graduation ceremony the next day. That type of moment, like you don't see any other race director, run director out there doing that. And like that's that's for me, that's hard rock in a nutshell like that's the quintessential symbol that is hard rock it is about the people
2: yeah that is such a special thing that happens at that award ceremony um and you're right i don't i can't think of any other any other ultra or any other race that does that um and that that's a very special part of of, of creating the sense of community too is to hear those stories um, from those folks. They're always very powerful. Yeah. Um, Megan, thank you so much for spending time with us today and um, and sharing your stories. Uh, I know you're. It's going to be very hard for you to leave New Zealand. Obviously, um, you've already told us you you may extend your time down there. However, <laughs> I have a sense, I have a feeling that they will get winter as well at some point, and so. The snow that is, um, that is waiting for you back in Silverton will find its way to New Zealand. And maybe by then, you'll find your way back to Silverton. And, uh, and we know there's no way you won't be in Silverton during Hard Rock this summer. It's where, where Hard Rockers belong. Um, and you're, you're a, a Hard Rocker through and through. And we look forward to seeing you there and then
0: see you both there. Thank you for this. And thank you also for the work that both of you are doing with the, the hard talk podcast. I know that this is a true labor of love. So yeah, thank you.
2: Wow,
1: that was a fun conversation with Megan from the future, um, since she is down in New Zealand.
2: Yeah, you know, super smart of Megan, right, to spend the Silverton winter in New Zealand. And then with the New Zealand winter, she'll spend, of course, back in Silverton. Similar, similar to uh, Anna Frost, who we already interviewed. Yeah, no, they're doing it
0: right,
1: man. Um, it's it's 20 degrees here, and <laughs> I know you're in Florida, but uh, I'm not even in the San Juans, and I'm, I'm sick of the winter. So I'm just I'm, south of I'm there. In-
2: I'm in Florida, but you know what? I was actually, um, didn't mention this during the, uh, during the recording, but I was just in Australia and it was, it was 89 degrees when I left, uh, Sydney. So definitely, uh, definitely the way to go. If you like warm weather to head to the Southern hemisphere this time of year,
1: it, it was fun talking yeah. about all the various initiatives that the board's going to have, as well as, um, the story of seeing Killian fall down the
2: mountain, um, <laughs> i think that that was yeah and i you know what i'm just i'm super grateful to everything that that megan and of course brian have done with Iron far it's the way that uh that really we have gotten to follow the sport for such a long time and even even with the live streams that are happening hard rock's going to have a live stream again this year Uh, even with all of those things that we have in order to access these events. It's still nice to get the interviews. It's nice to get the insight. It's nice to read the articles uh, that I run FAR offers. I think they do a great job and I'm really grateful that, um, that they've been there for us. And I'm, and I'm super excited to work with Megan on the board. And, um, and we've got another board member uh, coming up that we're going to be talking to. Hey, Chris, before we wrap it up, how
1: is your training going as we're approaching the end of February? <sighs> you had better get running because you do have to take a little bit of a, a walk around the San Juan Mountains at I do. Know, in the middle
2: of July. I do. And I'm looking forward to it. I really am. Um, there's no better place to be in July than the San Juan Mountains. That's absolutely the truth. Um, I have I'm going on. This is not now even Disney World. Eight. No, nah, not in the summer, man. Not in the summer. Now nah, you want to be at in the San Juans. Um, I I'm going on eight days of no running because I, uh, twisted my ankle rather badly on a trail run in Australia last week. And, um, so I I was, I was out looking for wallabies. I really wanted to find wallabies. And I did, I did, but I, I twisted my ankle really badly on that run. So, um, I'm walking normally again. I think I'm going to try a run tomorrow. I have a half marathon this weekend, so hopefully <laughs> I'll be feeling up to that. And, um, and as, as long as that goes well, you're going to see me, uh, a dramatic increase in my Strava mileage. I promise, Dan, I promise. Thank you for keeping me honest. Oh yeah. We'll be updating,
1: uh, you know, Every time that we're doing this podcast or every other time, especially as we get closer to the warmer season, um, just to hear about how your training's going. So I'm excited. I'm super excited. You bet. Hey, everybody, please join us next time as we welcome on Live from France. Um, Stephanie Case, another board member, uh, hard rock finisher, um, hard person extraordinaire. Can't wait to have you all long. listen to what we have to say with Stephanie yeah, Case.
2: That's when i